0: Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. As we continue our journey through the book of Acts, we are uh, following along, following the apostles of Jesus Christ as they are Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem. Jesus gave them the commission to be his witnesses first in Jerusalem. And that's the section of Acts that we're looking at right now. Um, I want to show you again um, kind of the outline of this section in Acts. Uh, remind you that Luke, as he records the witness in Jerusalem, he alternates between an, uh, looking internally at life within the community of believers, like we saw last week in the first part of chapter 5. Uh, and then externally at the community or the, uh, uh, the church community engaging in the community in Jerusalem. So that's the section that we're going to look at today, uh, Acts 5 12 through 42. And this external focused section follows the same pattern that we've seen in other sections, uh, where it starts with signs and wonders and then leads to response and explanation. And one of the big things that we're going to see today is that. Opposition is continuing to increase. So, back in chapter 2, there was no opposition. We saw after the lame man was healed, some opposition kind of started coming up. And uh, as we continue, the opposition just increases all the more as the word of God goes forth. Well, I hope you found Acts chapter 5. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read from uh, verses 12 through 42. And, uh, Let's, uh, let's feast together on the word of God. Um, as, a, uh, as a pastor friend of mine uh, tells his congregation often, this is the only inspired part of the sermon, what we're about to do. So let's lean in and hear God's word. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Judas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching. And preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus told his apostles in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Anyone who tries to live a life of faithfulness to God's mission will face opposition. Anyone who tries to live a life of faithfulness to God's mission will experience opposition. Jesus has told us that the way to life is narrow, it's hard, it's unpopular. We all, as Christ followers, will experience friction. Because to be a follower of Christ is to go against the grain of the world that lives for sin and for self. Maybe the opposition you experience will be... Beatings and imprisonments and threats like the apostles. But not necessarily. Maybe the opposition you experience as a follower of Christ. You experience as you're a believer married to an unbeliever. Who opposes the life of Christ that you are trying to live. Maybe in school or in work you're trying to be faithful To Christ and the people around you who do not know Christ don't understand and and even criticize you, oppose you for living in a way that honors Christ. In your career, you might even struggle to get ahead. You might have to choose between being faithful to Christ or getting ahead in your career field. For you, it might just be. Raising kids God's way, that just trying to raise your kids in the discipline and admonition of the Lord brings on opposition that you could otherwise avoid if you just stop trying to raise your kids God's way and raise your kids like the rest of the world. But in any case, when we turn from sin and turn to Jesus, we are turning to a life That is squarely in the face of the flow of the world. We are going from a life of going with the flow of the world. And we are turning to face opposition. It's what it means to be a Christian. We will face opposition. But here's the good news. The good news that we see on full display in Acts chapter 5. We may be criticized. We may be mocked. We may be resisted. We might be slowed down. We might be beaten. We might be imprisoned. We might even be killed when we try to advance God's mission. But our God is unstoppable. Our God is unstoppable. You might be able to stop me, but you will not be able to stop my God. Nothing No opposition that we face is able to thwart God's plan, God's purpose, God's mission, God's glory. Our God is unstoppable. Let's get into the text today and let's see this truth on display. As our passage begins, we see again signs and wonders being done at the hands of the apostles. And as we've already seen... Throughout Acts, and as we'll continue to see, these signs and wonders are ultimately done by God. And they're given for the purpose of validating the message, the teaching of the apostles. Uh, the healings, the exorcisms, they're not the point in and of themselves. They are for a particular time through these apostles in order to point to the teaching of the gospel. And so we even see in this passage that the the value, the the thing that these signs were leading to was increased saving faith. Such that in verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And as these signs and wonders were done, as this teaching was going forth, this validated teaching, and people were believing it, uh, the apostles were held in high esteem by all these people. More and more people are believing the message, and so more and more people are growing in loyalty to the messengers who are delivering the gospel. Well, such loyalty, such honor that these apostles are getting ultimately leads to the Jewish leaders becoming very jealous. So jealous, in fact, that they put the apostles in prison. Opposition. But no prison is strong enough. No prison is secure enough to stop God's mission. God sends an angel to the prison to bust these apostles out. Look at verse 20, what this angel says to them. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So the angel busts them out and he gives them a very specific command from the Lord Jesus. He wants them to go to a particular place, the temple. He wants them to go to a particular people, the, the Jews there assembled in Jerusalem. And he wants them to take a particular message, a particular teaching, the words of this life. So he tell, what he tells them to do could not have been more dangerous. It could not have been more controversial but also couldn't have been more clear. This was God's purpose and nothing was going to stop it. And so, they immediately obeyed this clear command that they had been given. They walked right out of the temple, right or excuse me, right out of the prison, right into the temple and began teaching the people all the words of this life. Well, so while daybreak or day is breaking, The apostles are going out of the prison into the temple. At that same time, meanwhile, the high priest sins to have the apostles brought in, not knowing what has happened. They go, they find the prison secure, locked, just like it's supposed to be, but empty, not like it's supposed to be, and inexplicable, they didn't. Break a window, they didn't bend the bars with Hulk-like strength. There was nothing, no human explanation. By all accounts, this should have been secure. But supernaturally, they were gone. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. In fact, they were terrified to think what this might mean. And then all of a sudden, as they're trying to wrap their heads around this miracle that has just happened, someone comes and says, look, while we've been over here trying to find these guys. They have been in the temple. The, the very guys you in prison are going doing exactly the thing that they're not supposed to be doing. They're in the temple with the people teaching. And this was infuriating to the Jewish council. It was infuriating news that they received. And so they confronted these apostles. They went and got them. Of course, they had to be careful. They didn't want to bring them by force because The people were holding them in high esteem. They didn't want to lose the people. They didn't want to be stoned by the people. And so they they quietly brought the apostles in so that they could confront them. Confront them on what they were doing, why they were doing it. And what we find as they confront, as the high priest confronts the apostles, is what the real beef that they had with them was. What's the real offense here that they were being arrested for? Look at verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Their offense was teaching. Their offense was the gospel. The message that they proclaimed. They were preaching a different message than the Jewish leaders. And they were teaching it to their people, the, the Jewish leaders' people. All of Jerusalem was being infected by this teaching of the gospel. And, and not only that, not the, only were they teaching um, the, the, the people there in Jerusalem, and was this spreading, but also it was making them look bad. They were, as the leader said, you're intending to put this man's blood on our hands. Your message is, is one that God has resurrected a man that we have killed. This is not making us look good. So look at the response, though, at, in verse 29 at the, uh, that the apostles give. We must obey God rather than men. They had been warned back in chapter 4. They had been threatened. They had been commanded. Do not teach in this name. And now here they are. They've defied that. And the leaders confront them. How dare you defy our instruction? How dare you disobey us? But their response is, we must obey God rather than men. And what we see here is really, really important. Their agenda was not defiance. It wasn't that the Jewish council gave them a command, they didn't like it, and so then they made it their point to go and defy them. That was not their focus. They had received a message directly from Jesus's angel that he sent with a clear command, and they had to obey it. Their focus, their mission, their target and goal was to obey God. And the opposition that they faced was just part of following in faithfulness. The fact that they had to defy the leaders in order to obey, it's something that just had to happen. It was the leaders' problem that they were making the apostles defy them in order to obey God. The apostles, all they wanted to do, Was obey God. They had a clear focus on God. A clear focus on what he had called them to do. And he had called them to teach. Their focus was not on defiance. Their focus was on teaching. And that clear focus on teaching can be seen in what they say next to the Jewish council. In verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. It seems that Peter never misses a chance to preach the gospel. He, notice he says, the God of our fathers. This is our God, counsel. This is our God. It's the the people that you are so afraid of us teaching. It's their God. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who is wrote, who, who wrote in the scriptures about the coming of the Christ. God is up to something here. The God that you are supposed to be teaching your people about in your temple And notice that in response to this accusation by the council that the apostles were trying to put Jesus' blood on their hands, uh, they did not water down the message. They doubled down. Uh, Yep, you did kill him. His blood is on your hands. And God raised him. But there's good news. He can save because he raised the one that you killed. God exalted him. To the highest place of authority. In order to give repentance to murderers like you. In order to give forgiveness for the people. To give forgiveness to you people. God has done what only God can do to save sinners from their sin. Peter preaches the gospel there in response to their interrogation but the same message that leads some to repent and believe led the council to rage the same message that softens some hardens them such rage in fact that they were getting to they were getting ready to murder them on the spot but then Gamaliel steps in. Gamaliel is a wise, gifted teacher, respected among the people, we're told. We're told that he's a Pharisee. Uh, At this time, the Sadducees, there were uh, two parties, and the Sadducees held the majority on the council. And so Gamaliel was part of the minority as a Pharisee. But because he was so well-respected, so... Um, understood to be a wise teacher of the law, when when Gamaliel spoke up, even the majority listened. And he he says to them, guys, we've got to be careful here. We've seen movements come and go. We've seen guys acquire significant followings. And then it comes to nothing. But then look at verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this understanding, or excuse me, undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now, we don't know if Gamaliel ever became a believer in Jesus, but it's clear after years of teaching the law of God a little bit of biblical wisdom had rubbed off on Gamaliel. There he was, speaking truth that he may not have even realized, he might not have realized just how true what he was saying was. Because the truth of the matter is, the council was opposing not just apostles, not just a movement, not just someone who claimed to be the Christ, they were opposing god they were opposing their god this tension that we see here it's really a window into a massive seismic shift that god is working at this time god was working in christ a seismic shift of massive proportions it was a shift of covenants from the old covenant of Moses that was a temporary guardian to the new eternal covenant in the blood of Christ. It was a seismic shift of worship from a system that revolved around the temple, physical place, to a new temple that was the people of God. Wherever you find the people of God, you find the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it was a, a shift of covenants, it was a shift of worship, and it was a shift of authority. The authoritative teacher, teaching was no longer to come from the rabbis and the high priests and the law teachers like Gamaliel. The authoritative teaching of God's word was now being delivered through the apostles. What we have now in the New Testament. So God was up to this seismic shift. And and we get a window into that in this passage as we see the council and the apostles. The the council holding on to the power that they had under the old system. And the apostles faithfully carrying out this new move of God. And, And so when the Lord commands the apostles to teach the people in the temple, it rightly rattles the Jewish leaders. They were trying to to cling to their ever-fading power, treating the people under their influence as pawns to prop up their own position. And in so doing, they were opposed to God. They were opposed to what God was up to on a cosmic level. They were opposed to his apostles that he had given his spirit, he had given to be his witnesses on the other hand, the apostles didn't see people as pawns. They saw people as souls who needed saving. The apostles weren't trying to acquire power for themselves. They were trying to have people be changed by the power of the gospel. And so Gamaliel was right. This opposition that they were, the way that they were opposing the apostles was, was not just opposing a little tiny man-made sect. They were, in fact, opposing god they were opposing the mission of god the plan of god so they hear gamaliel's wisdom and whether or not they agreed totally they were at least persuaded for the moment so they released the apostles but not without flogging them first and threatening them commanding them again not to teach in the name of jesus In response to this, the apostles were not ashamed. Instead, they were honored to be dishonored for the name of Jesus. In response to this, the apostles were not deterred. They continued to teach, not just from house to house, in the temple even. They continued to take God's message to the people that God wanted them to take the message Two, they obeyed God rather than men. Because whatever opposition was thrown their way, whatever may threaten to stop God, whatever may threaten to stop this mission, whatever may threaten to stop God's plan or stop God's purpose, they knew their God was unstoppable. Likewise today, As we face opposition. As we observe God continue to carry out his plan. And we see the opposition against his plan. We need to be encouraged by the truth that God, our God, is unstoppable. From this text, let me offer to you four points of application. Number one, be grateful That God's unstoppable message has come to you. Be grateful that God's unstoppable message has come to you. Acts 5 shows us that the gospel is unstoppable. The apostles had been threatened before, yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. The gospel is unstoppable. In response to this, they were thrown in prison. But by God's power, they were out as soon as they got in because the gospel is unstoppable. They were beaten. They were threatened. But that just made them rejoice and go teach in the temple all the more because the gospel is unstoppable. It's unstoppable here in this scene. It's unstoppable as it continues to go, not just in Jerusalem and throughout Jerusalem, uh, filling Jerusalem with their teaching. No, it fills Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The gospel has reached, in fact, even you and me. Because the gospel is unstoppable, it has gotten even to us. Just think about all of the obstacles that God easily overcame to get the gospel to you to me. 2,000 years worth of controversies, 2,000 years worth of forces waging against the gospel from inside the church and outside of the church, 2,000 years of opposition and 2,000 years of God faithfully, powerfully, miraculously, yet sovereignly and easily bringing the gospel unstoppably even to you and even to me. He has brought the words of this life For those people, to us, he has brought these words of life about the fact that God has raised Jesus from the dead. This massive transformation from death to life, through which Jesus is making all things new, reversing the curse. This powerful good news of life that God has exalted Christ to the highest position of authority, the right hand of the throne of heaven. That Jesus, as he says in Revelation 1, holds the keys of death and Hades. And because of this, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, because Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, we can repent. We can turn away from slavery to sin, slavery to the way of the world. And we can receive by the free grace of God forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. We were once not a people, but in Christ now we are God's people. We in Christ have been made the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can know the joy of having God Himself living in us, dwelling among us as the people of God. Because of, Of the teaching of the gospel that made its way unstoppably even to us. When we see this unstoppable mission, this unstoppable message. That God stopped at nothing to get the gospel to you and to me. May that lead us to rejoice. The gospel is unstoppable because our God... Is unstoppable. So may we give thanks and honor to God for getting the words of this life that have transformed our hearts, that He's gotten that to us. Let's be grateful that God's unstoppable message has come to us. Number two, beware the foolishness of opposing. The unstoppable God. Beware the foolishness of opposing the unstoppable God. Acts 5 is a passage that gives encouragement to those of us who face opposition in our attempt to be faithful to God's mission, God's plan. But Acts 5 also offers a warning. To those who would oppose God. And the warning is especially sobering. When we realize who was receiving the warning in this passage. It was the most religious people on the face of the planet. It was the people who knew the scriptures better than anyone. Even the most religious person can be found opposing God. Well, what does that look like practically? What does it look like practically to be found opposing God? Let me give you a few illustrations. You hear someone present to you a plain truth from Scripture, and your response is, yeah, but if that's you. You might be found opposing God. You see someone obeying a, a basic clear moral teaching of scripture. But you criticize that person for being hyper spiritual or being a stick in the mud. If that's you. You might be found opposing God. You see someone making a, a decision out of the fear of the Lord, concerned most of all with the fact that their father sees them in secret. But you criticize that person for, making, for, or for not making a decision that would lead to an outcome that you would prefer, even if that decision might compromise biblical teaching. If that's you, you might be found opposing God you reject biblical teaching and practice of church worship excusing it saying well that's not the way we've always done it or well these days people don't do that anymore or well that's not the way to get results if that's you you might be found opposing god beware of even religious forms of opposing God, God's purpose, God's plan, God's mission, God's message. And if God is identifying in you a way that you oppose Him, remember that you are opposing someone who is unstoppable and repent. The good news of this passage was preached even to those who were opposing God. Laid out before them. Jesus is at the right hand of God with all authority so that you are free to repent. Turn from your opposition to God and turn to God. turn to his word turn to his message turn to his mission turn to his plan and beware the foolishness of opposing the unstoppable god number three be faithful to god's unstoppable mission be faithful to god's unstoppable mission back in chapter four We saw the beginning of the threat to the apostles' religious liberty. And as we looked at that, we saw that the apostles' response was not to fear or to fight, but to focus on God. To focus on his mission by faith in the sovereignty of God and by faithfulness to the mission of God. Of God. And we see in Acts 5 the exact same thing played out here. As we see the apostles' faithfulness, their laser focus on the mission of God, on the one hand, it's an encouragement to us to stay faithful despite the opposition that we inevitably face. We have no need to fear when opposition arises. God is unstoppable. We can have confidence that nothing that ever opposes us will ever stop God's mission. In the end, our labors will not be in vain. We will not be ashamed, and we have no reason to fear We also need to remember what faithfulness to God in the face of opposition is not. Faithfulness to God is not fighting the opposition. Faithfulness to God is not fighting for freedom. Faithfulness to God is focus. Focus on the mission. Just like we saw in the apostles. Their goal, their focus was not to defy the leaders. Their goal, their focus, was not their rights or their privileges. Their focus was clearly, squarely, only on God and obeying His mission. Listen to what Brian Vickers writes about this passage. The Apostle's reply is not an act of civil disobedience in the popular modern sense. The apostles hope for change, but the change they seek is faith and repentance, not freedom of speech. In fact, they apparently do not even need freedom to speak. They will continue to speak regardless, for an angel of the Lord has told them to do so. This is a matter of obedience to God. He goes on to say this, it belittles the courage of the apostles To call their response to the council's injunction mere civil disobedience. Civil disobedience identifies an injustice in a governing authority and sets out to oppose it. Even if to do so means breaking the law in hopes of stopping the injustice. The apostles do not identify a problem and then develop a plan to oppose it. They are not an underground association or a group of insurgents. Such groups form because of unjust governments or leaders. But the apostles, as members of the kingdom of God, find themselves at odds with the Jewish leaders over the truth of Jesus the Messiah. They do not set out to oppose the leadership. Their allegiance to Jesus the King makes such opposition necessary. put another way, I'm going to risk a sports analogy. (laughs) Caleb Landis is shaking his head. We'll, we'll, Well, we'll try this. We'll just see if it lands or not. When you're driving the ball down the field, you're going to face opposition. But you don't stop to fight The defense, and you also don't run away in fear from the defense. The the focus on the end zone, the focus on the goal is what's driving you. Not afraid of opposition, not distracted by opposition, focused on the goal. Likewise, faithfulness to Christ requires that we focus our eyes on the goal, and we will face opposition. We shouldn't be afraid of it, but we also, also should not get distracted by it. We need to keep our eyes on the goal. Caleb, you can tell me what I need to edit about that later. We'll, cha- we'll change the YouTube video, the <laughs> voiceover. All right, last point of application. Be glad that the difficulty of following Christ Is part of God's unstoppable plan. Be glad. That the difficulty of following Christ. Is part of God's unstoppable plan. As the apostles were walking away. From the council. Bruised. Bloody. I'm sure it would have been. Tempting to think. Is this really. Worth it? Or even, is the shame that we're receiving a sign that we're missing something? That we're doing the wrong thing? But that wasn't the response of the apostles. Instead, they rejoiced. They remembered what Jesus had said in Luke 6 22 and 23, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Anyone who tries to live a faithful life of obedience to God's mission will experience opposition from the world. Whether it's coming within your school, your workplace, from your extended family, or even in your own home. It is worth it. It is an honor. And your reward is great in heaven. Jesus' words. In the end, God will accomplish his unstoppable plan. Nothing will stop his purpose, his mission, his will. He will accomplish his unstoppable plan for the world, and he will accomplish his unstoppable plan for you. Turn with me to Romans 8. Look with me at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his, parentheses, unstoppable purpose. And listen to how Paul goes on to describe the great reward awaiting those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, this, these verses here have been compared in the past to a, a golden, unbreakable chain. We see in these verses the unstoppable plan of God, his unstoppable plan of redemption, that he is working in Christ, both at a cosmic level and in the individual believer. And all things, he says, work For the good of making us more like Jesus. Look at verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As we face opposition in school, in work, in our homes, wherever we face opposition, remember these truths. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake and faithfulness to God. We are being killed all the day long. Opposition. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God is unstoppable. In the end, God will accomplish his unstoppable plan for the world and for you. In the end, God's message will go forth. God will overcome the opposition. God will fulfill his mission. God will make you like Christ. God will bring you safely home. And God will receive all the glory. So rejoice. The king is on his throne. And our God is unstoppable. Let's pray. God, we worship you, the unstoppable God. We praise you that you would stop at nothing to get the gospel to the souls that you want to save, the souls that you have given the privilege. Of experiencing your grace and steadfast love for all of eternity. Lord, you are a worthy God. You are a powerful God. You're a gracious God. And Lord, we worship you. We're grateful that your unstoppable message has come to us. And Lord, we want to rejoice even when we face trials of various kinds. Lord, for your glory, knowing that you are the God who's unstoppable. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.